Like I said earlier, I'd like to share a message today entitled, Being a Man After God's Own Heart. Being a man after God's own heart. If we, if we look into the Acts of the Apostles, Acts uh, chapter 13, verse 22, this is not going to be our, our main text from today, but I wanted just to read this. Acts 13, 22 is written, And when he had removed him, he raised, he's talking about uh, Solomon, I mean um, Saul, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. You know, the, um, the land of Israel had wanted a king, and so they, they had this one king, Saul, wasn't it, the first king? And Saul didn't do everything like the Lord wanted him to do, did he? And uh, so at this point, uh, God's going to put in a man that was after God, his own heart, to be king, and that was David. And today I want us to look at the, some, some of the life of David. You know, the Bible is a, is a neat book in, that vi- in, the, in this. It tells us the truth all the way through, amen? It gives us truth. The Bible is truth. But it also shows us the truth about people. A lot of times, even the great people of faith had problems, didn't they? And they failed many times in their life. Um, We see that throughout uh, the the scriptures. But the Bible never tries to hide that. And, you know, that's an important thing, that the Bible doesn't hide people's failures. But, you know, today we try to live our life, and sometimes we come to church, And we try to put on a facade all the time that nothing is wrong in my life. Uh, I live a perfect life. And we know that's not true, don't we? And so the Bible, I I love the way sometimes it shows us the failures of some of the greatest people in the Bible. And even here, today we're going to look at one of the failures of this person, David, King David, a man after God's own heart is not perfect. He made some really severe failures, and we're going to look at them today. But so when we talk about being a man after God's own heart, or a woman after God's own heart, it's not that we're perfect. It's not even that we have attained what we need to attain. Notice that we keep our, we try to stay focused upon God, and we try to live our life according to how he would want us to live it. And when we do fail, we run to him for forgiveness, and we run to him to be made new again. And you see, I'm so glad that the Bible just doesn't show us uh, the Facebook posts of every person in the Bible, those things that they just want everybody to see. No, the Bible puts things in there that probably those people would wish nobody would ever see, but it's important that we do so we know how to protect ourselves from falling into the same uh, traps that they fell in, and if we do fall into those traps, we know how to be made right again with holy God. And so we're going to look today at a Second Samuel verse, uh, chapter eleven and twelve, and we're going to read quite a bit of scripture today. And we're going to also look a little later in Psalm fifty-one, and uh, we're just going to look and see what this, these texts tell us about how to be a man after God's own heart. 
So let's look, read this wonderful story that we find in 2 Samuel 11, uh, chapter 11, and we'll read some in chapter 12 too. So bear with me and follow along as we read this. What a wonderful story. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from the uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David, and when Uriah came in, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a, a, pre, uh, a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go to his house. And when they told David, Uriah did not go to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why don't you go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in the booths, and my lord Joab and, his, and the servants of my lord are camping in an open field. Shall I go to my house to eat, to drink, and to lie with my wife? As you live, as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained, remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in the presence and drank, so he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the, front for, the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of his servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting, and he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises, he, and he says to you, Why do you go so near to the city to fight? Do you not know that they would shoot you from the wall? Who killed Abimelech and the son of Jehoshaphat? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near to the wall? Then you should say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came to David and told him all that Joab had sent him to tell. And the, David said to, and the messenger said to David, 
The men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when he, the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Let's look, go ahead and keep reading in 2 Samuel 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, Nathan the prophet. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one a rich and the other was poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and he, it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat the morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more than this. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, evil, uh, and taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your, your wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives inside of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because... By this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who was born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he became sick. Let's stop right there. What a story. Amen?
A story where we see this man, after God's own heart, fail in a miserable way. And we're going to see that he's restored in a miraculous way, too. Today I want to talk to you about being a man after God's own heart. You know, we look at our society today, and I look around, and it saddens me to see men not being men after God's own heart. I see men having families and not being a father. I see, see men not standing up for what is right and being swayed by so many things that our society says is good. I see men in great positions failing. And, and many times their very ministry is gone. It saddens me because I know it can happen to me and it can happen to anyone that's listening today. It happened to David, a man after God's own heart. And so today I want to tell you these four things, how to be. There's so many that we could add here. But four things, how can you be a man after God's own heart? The first thing I want you to see here in these verses we read today is we need to be responsible for our duties. Men, we need to be responsible for our duties that God has entrusted to us. One of them is being a father, a godly father. There's duties that we have in the kingdom of God, too. We need to be responsible for the duties that God gives us. Someone who is responsible does what he's supposed to do. The very first in this text that we read, we see it was the springtime when all the all of the kings go out to battle. Did David do what he really supposed to be doing? No, he wasn't where he's supposed to be at the battle. He sent his men out there, but it says that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they were out war at war where the king needed to be. But David remained at Jerusalem. Dear man of God, I've noticed a truth. When you're not where you're supposed to be is a time when you can be tempted beyond belief. When you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, you can be tempted uh, severely. We need to be responsible for doing our duties. Here we see the springtime. They're supposed to be out of battle, but David remained at Jerusalem. When all the other men of valor were out Fighting in the war, David gets up off his couch one afternoon and is walking, pacing, the word is really, pacing back and forth on the king's roof. He didn't even supposed to be there at that time. Dear friend, being responsible means you do what you should be doing. And when we don't, we can be prey to Satan's Enticements, And that's exactly what happened here to David. So David is out pacing on the roof in the springtime when everybody else is out at war. And he looks down and he sees a woman bathing. The scripture basically shows us that David really didn't know who this was. All he knew is he 
He liked what he saw. You see, being responsible as a man of God means you go where you should be going. You do what you should be doing. But dear friend, you view what you should be viewing. It burdens my heart that it's so easy today to view what we shouldn't be viewing. We don't have to be pacing up on top of a, a rooftop and look down. No, it's just a click of a button, isn't it, to view. And sometimes it even pops up when you don't do anything and you're trying to you get it off there, you see. Dear friends, if you want to be a man after God's own heart, be responsible in your duties. Do what you should be doing. Sometimes it might not even be the, the most pleasant thing, and, and sometimes it, it's the hard thing. It'd be so much easier to be being lazy somewhere. But, dear friend, just know, if you're not being responsible in your duties, that's an opportunity and a foothold for Satan in your life. This is the truth I've seen over and over and over again. Dear man of God, dear woman of God, be responsible for your duties, no matter how little or big they are. Be doing what you're supposed to be doing. Go where you're supposed to be going. You know, I talk to people all the time uh, that are struggling with something in their life. Sometimes it's alcoholism, and yet they go places where there's alcohol all over the place. I, I never understood, you know. If you have problem with that, stay away from that. If you have problem with the, the lust of the eyes, certainly try to be accountable to someone else in your life to, to view what you should be viewing. You say, well, it's not a big deal. It's in secret. The Bible tells, tells us to be sure your sin will find you out. And just like here, we just read, sometimes the sin's in secret usually are made known in public eventually. I remember the testimony of Ted Bundy. Many of you might know that name. My family's path crossed with Ted Bundy many times in law enforcement and in other ways too because he, he, he took a victim in Lake City, Florida, as well as Tallahassee. And um, Ted Bundy, was, I remember... Uh, I think it was Josh McDowell interviewed Ted Bundy, and I remember watching the interview, and Ted Bundy says what, how all, his pro, all the, the downward slide that ended up in murder started was from pornography. And I thought, you've got to be kidding. How does pornography end up leading you to murder so many people? Well, here... David was not responsible in his duties. And he saw Bathsheba bathing. And the next thing you know, he tries to cover up his sin. Dear Christian, be responsible for your duties. Be responsible. Be, do what you should be doing. Go where you should be going. View what you should be viewing. These are your responsibilities that God has given you, be faithful in your responsibilities. The second thing, not only be responsible in your duties, the second thing is be accountable for your failures. Be accountable for your failures. 
here in 1 Samuel 11, 6 through the, re the rest of the, the thing here, we see that David failed to be accountable. Guys, we're all going to sin. We're all going to fall. But the important thing is to be accountable. Someone who is accountable fesses up to what he has done. Do we have a holy God that is there ready for us to go to and confess our sins to? And we need to repent of our sins. That means turn away from them and go, go away from them. Turn our back on our sin and turn to our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we need to be accountable for our failures. Confess what you should be confessing. It's a, it's a shame that confession is, is not uh, really prominent in people's lives today, it seems like. Dear friend, we need to be confessing all of our shortcomings, all of our failures, all of our sins, little and big, to the Lord, because we are to be more like Christ each day of our life. Dear men, we're supposed to be more Christ-like today than when we were last week or last year, if we are Christians. You see, we do that by going to God and confessing our shortcomings, our failures, our sins, and letting Him renew us. This is part of what makes us men after God's own heart. Confess what you should be confessing. Have you confessed sin? Or are you trying to conceal sin in your life? One of the other. Here we see David, he sins. He's not where he should be, so he falls into this temptation with Bathsheba. And instead of going to the Lord and confessing his sin, he tries to cover it up and conceal it. He tries to cover it up by having Uriah come back from the war. And surely, if this man of war has been out in battle for so long, and, and he goes to his house, People will think the baby is Urias. You see how David is trying to conceal his sin. But Uriah was quite an honorable servant, wasn't he? He, he says, because all the other people were out at battle, all my, my the other men of valor are out, out battling and are sleeping out there, I'm certainly not going to go and sleep in my house. So that didn't work. So now what's David going to do? Dear friend, have you ever noticed that sometimes one sin can lead easily to the next? He's trying to cover something up or conceal something, and that's uh, the truth. And David, because Uriah was such of an outstanding servant and wouldn't go to his house and sleep with his wife, David eventually gets him drunk. Tries again, even harder. Add a little alcohol, you know, get him inebriated. Maybe something will happen. Nothing happened. So to even conceal it even more, what does David do? He gives Uriah a note to take back to the battle. And the note says, put Uriah at the most dangerous place there is in the battle so that he can perish. Dear friend, we need to be accountable for our failures. 
Because when we're not accountable for our failures, it seems like the failures get more and more. Deeper and deeper we go. Proverbs 28.13 was even spoken a few weeks ago, I think, by James Burks. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Do you hear that? That's wonderful news, isn't it? He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. The good part is, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You see, David tried to cover up his sin. He brings Uriah home from the battle. He sends Uriah to the front lines of the battle, and he's killed. And David marries Bathsheba. And then in verse 27 of chapter 11, we see the Lord was displeased with David's actions. James 1, 14 and 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The Bible tells us that the, we all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Don't you see that the prophet Nathan confronts David here in this story. Nathan tells, the prophet Nathan tells David a story about this man who has one little ewe lamb and it was a pet and he raised it like one of his own children. And there was a rich man who had many, many lambs. And the rich man had a visitor coming. And that, in those days, if you had an important visitor, you would usually have a feast. You would kill one of your, your better lambs and have a feast. Well, this man didn't want to kill one of his many lambs, so he goes and takes this man's pet lamb. And he takes it and slaughters it and feeds his guests. Well, David, when he hears this story, gets very angry and says, this man needs to pay for what he's done. And Nathan looks to, Jesus, or looks to, da Nathan looks to David, points his finger and says, you're the man. You're the man. Dear man of God, today it's great to have accountability with people that can look at you and tell you, you, you're, you, you need to look at this in your life. But dear friend, we have the Holy Spirit in our life of Christians too. And the Holy Spirit is the one that says, you're the man. You, you have this problem in your life. The question is, what do we do when we're told that? When sin comes, we come face to face with our sin, and there's no more concealing it or trying to hide it. What do we do in those, that, those times? You see, sin always has consequences. You're going to have to, we see that in verses 10 through 12 
of chapter 11 and also 14 through 15, that there are grave consequences for what David had done. There's going to be fighting in his family for years. The little, the little baby's going to die. There's going to, we're going to see David uh, in the future uh, with many, his own son uh, after him. We're going to see all kinds of problems in David's life that are considered consequences for what David had done. Even David later on wants to build a temple to God. And God says, no, you can't build the temple because you have blood on your hands. And his son, Solomon, has to build the temple. You see, sin always has consequences. Isaiah 55, verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord that the, he may have compassion on him, and our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So what do you do when you're confronted with your sin? The accountability hits you face to face. Well, dear man of God, you turn to our merciful Lord. You turn to God in your sin. And that's exactly what David does here. It's not that David was perfect. That didn't make him a man after God's own heart. A lot of being a man after God's own heart is turning to the Lord. Many of you know Psalm 51 is, is David's response to Nathan pointing his finger and saying, you're the man. And in, in, in that scripture there in, in 2 Samuel, we say, David say, have mercy on me, O Lord. That's about all that scripture tells us. But later on, he goes and writes Psalm 51 as a response to this very thing. Have mercy on me, O God. This, 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 what David says there, have mercy on me, O God, is very reminiscent of Jesus' uh, parable later on, isn't it? Of the, the publican and the Pharisee where the one smote upon it, or the one was there saying, Lord, I am not like other men, unjust, right, unrighteous, all this. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. That's the Pharisee's response in the temple tabernacle. But then the, the publican, the one that's not well liked, says, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And he smote on his breast. Dear man of God, which one of those are you going to be like when you're confronted with your sin? The third thing I want you to see, not only be responsible for your duties and be accountable for your failures, we need to be remissible for your transgressions. Be pardonable. We serve a God that is ready to pardon our sins. But it takes us humbling ourselves and going to God with a broken and contrite spirit and saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's exactly what David does. Let's read Psalm 51. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, and after he had gone to Bathsheba, it says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgressions. 
Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners to return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltlessness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Let's stop there. Be remissible for your transgressions. Remissible is able to be forgiven or pardoned. Dear friend, We're all able to be forgiven and pardoned, not because of who we are or what bad or good we have done. No, it's because of the goodness and greatness of the Lord. His mercies endureth forever. He is there to forgive and to pardon. David cries out here, have mercy on me, O God. It is possible for our sins to be blotted out because of God's steadfast love. And his abundant mercy. You see that in the first couple verses. David didn't say because I deserve it. Blot out my sins. Have mercy. No, have mercy on me and blot out my sins because you are a loving and merciful God, he says. And because of that, we can be forgiven for our sins. The psalmist, having been convinced of his sin, poured out his soul in prayer That begins with a plea for the Lord to to have mercy and grace and cleanse and pardon. In in this Psalm 51, we see three terms used for sin. David hits all three terms in this one psalm. The first is my transgressions, he says. Transgressions is the sin of conscious rebellion against a holy God. The act of that violates known standards of God. To transgress is to step over the boundaries that God has put there. God has put these certain boundaries, and humankind tries to get to the very edge of those boundaries, don't we, many times. And sometimes when we get to the edge of those boundaries, we, we gaze over the edge, and before you know it, we take a step over the boundary. I love Psalm 1. I, this is not in my notes, but Psalm 1 shows the progression of sin. You know, you walk by sin, and, and then the next thing you, you stand, and, and there, the next thing you do, you're sitting among, among the scoffers. 
the progression of sin. We're to turn from that sin, repent of that sin on our transgressions, these sins of conscious rebellion against God, the, the boundaries that he has put there. And old David did this, didn't he? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit murder. Murder. David transgressed, and he knew it, and he's crying out that God will blot out his transgression. The second term he uses is iniquity in verse 2. The sin of error, that which is altogether wrong. You can't excuse yourself of it. It's iniquity. <laughs> Cleanse me, Lord, from my iniquities. And then the third uh, definition he puts here, not only transgressions and iniquity, but sin. We use that word a lot. Sin can, can be translated as, it's a kind of an archery term, a, a marksman term. It's missing the mark. Sin is translated missing a mark. God has, where we, here we know where we need to be. And we're, even if we're striving sometimes at that mark, Many times we miss it. The older I get, the more I miss the mark when I go shooting and different things. I used to be pretty good at hitting the mark. Not so much anymore. Shake too much. And I can't see the end of the gun. That really, that really affects your, your, your shooting. I see the target real well. But dear friend, missing the mark, it's easy to do. Even when we're striving to do the right thing, sometimes we miss the mark. That's sin in our life. We need to confess these sins, uh, these things that don't quite meet God's standards in our life. Even when we're trying hard, none of us today come up to the standards of God. We just we earlier mentioned uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners by choice and even by nature. We're sinners, and we fall short of the glory of God. Not only does David show three terms for sin here, he shows three terms, or some terms for forgiveness, three terms. Blot out, he says, blot out, wipe off, or efface is used for a ritual performance for priests washing off into the water curses which have been written on a tablet. We see in, in Numbers, they would write, the transgressions and the sin out on a tablet, the shortcomings, and then they would put them in water and wash them off. It was a symbolism of what God can do in our life. It's this blot out. A second term is wash, to tread out. Uh, back then they would wash the clothes. Many times they would put them on the ground and just stomp on them really violently. Or they would beat them with a rock or a stick. This was washing. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow, David says. And then the last term is cleanse me. Much a ceremonial term used in the ritual where the priest would per, uh, pronounce the worship book clean. They would also cleanse me. They would cleanse the leper and different people who were unclean so they would be made right again. You see, 
These are three terms, and this is exactly what God will do to us when we go to him with our failures, with our sin, with our iniquity, with our transgressions. 1 John 1, 9, 1 8 through 10 says, if we, ha- if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our, our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word, his word, is not in us. Oh, that's a beautiful picture of what we need to do. We don't say we have no sin. We go to the Lord with our sins, and we confess them to him. We confess them. We, we say, tell the Lord where we have failed. He knows where we have failed. It's really for us to tell him that. And that God in his great mercy and love will cleanse, will wash us white as snow, will forgive us of our sin. You see, our front is an ascent, uh, a front to God's holiness. When we read this scripture, you, you know that you say, oh man, he did Uriah wrong. He did this, all these people wrong. But David cries out, my sin is against you, O Lord. You see, all of our sin is is an affront to God's holiness. And there are many effects to unconfessed sin. In Psalm 51 here we see we can get a wrong spirit if we have unconfessed sin in our life. Verse 10, he, you know, this renew a right spirit within me. If you're carrying around sin in your life, you can get a wrong spirit and only God can renew a right spirit in you. We, we become separated from God's presence when we have sin in our life. Verse 11, cast me, the Lord, not away from your presence. You see, we lose the joy of our salvation when we have sin in our life. The joy of our salvation is gone. David says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It can hurt our witness for Christ. Verse 13, our inner song is gone. Verse 14, and our praise can be gone. Verse 15, because of our sin. But thank the Lord these things can be renewed and restored when we go and confess to God what David said. Hmm. So how? Can we become men after God's own heart? Be responsible for your duties, dear friend. Be where you're supposed to be. Do what you're supposed to do. View what you're supposed to view. Be accountable for your failures. Confess sin. Don't try to conceal it. Don't try to cover it up and hide it. Confess it to the Lord. He knows it. He's he's there. He's faithful and just to forgive. Go to him. Let him pardon. Be pardonable. Let him pardon you from your sin. 
And then our last thing that we, we, we talked about there, just, you know, I don't think I ever said it. The last thing is be exceptional in your worship. A man of God, a man after God's own heart, needs to be exceptional in worship. Every one of these things we just read take away from our worship. We have a wrong spirit. We're separated from God's presence. We've lost the joy of God's salvation. Our witness is gone. Our inner song is gone and our praise is gone. But dear friend, when God restores those things, when God makes those things new again, once again we can be exceptional in our worship. It's a whole other sermon and I'm not getting into it, but Sometimes we think of worship as just standing and singing a few songs on Sunday. Dear friend, worship is how you live your life all the week. Your worship is the way you serve your Lord every moment of your life. Singing is part, can be part of worship. But dear friend, it's hard to worship God when you're busy concealing sin in your life. It's hard to worship God when you're not right with Him. Oh, I love the end of those verses. Uh, in verse 13 through 17, we, if I can get back to that, I can find it here. I got all my pages mixed up, sorry. Where, where David says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He says, then I will testify and I will worship God afresh and anew. Psalm 95, verses 6 through 7. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. And what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is what it means to be a man after God's own heart. Yes, we're going to fail. But dear friend, let's confess our failures. Let's turn away from our sin. Let's turn to our merciful and loving God and worship Him. Oh, that one day it could be said, of me that I was a man after God's own heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these words of your, your word. Lord, we thank you that we can look at a, a great person in the history of the Israeli people a great leader, but we see his great failure. 
but we see him turn eventually to a great God who restores. Lord, I pray for the men that's in this room and the men that's watching online. I pray for the women here. That, Lord, we would seek your face. That we would turn from our wicked ways. And that you would renew and heal today. Lord, I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand.